Good morning, everyone. Um, Jill is going to also come up and share um, as part of my own teaching this morning, but we want to do it together and so she can say her words of thanks and gratitude, but just to say right up front that we are really happy to be here. We are grateful for the invitation, the pubs to come and to be with the church We've been planning for, um, in fact, the whole of this year to relocate back to the coast. So for those of you who don't know, I was born in Durban a long time, long time ago when, when I came out of Noah's Ark, <laughs> 1955. Um, <clears throat> and I always said uh, over the years that one day when the grace has lifted off me, to plant and past and lead local churches and I specialize into the later years of my life of writing I want to live a slower life and go back to the ocean and live at the beach so that's we've been planning on that the whole year and God's opened the way for us and um, as pub says um, early January we actually do relocate um, and it's down to the Belito Bay area just a, a bit north of of Durban so that's just an update on our news. But I just want to say again, <clears throat> just walking in here, you know, <clears throat> it's amazing because we arrived here, parked the car right here close to the door, and outside my door of the car was Steve Ovo, <laughs> Steve, waiting to greet me. <laughs> and then we came in and we greeted Rafil Way. We greeted Mandy and others, and then little Rory's son comes, comes running up to me and says, Uncle Alexander's here, and hugs my leg. Well, actually, it was a bit lower than my knee. <clears throat> she almost made it up to my knee. But, but just, um, yeah, just, and then I greeted people, then I went through to the prayer meeting and just walking through those doors and turning there, just the energy in the prayer meeting pubs. The, everyone was just praying and praying. Um, it again just brought back to me memories of Joweto. When, when I as a, uh, a vineyard pastor went into Soweto in 1983, and the experience of prayer there generally, the culture is when Maruti says, let's pray, everyone just prays out loud verbally all at the same time. So it's like one holy chaos. Everyone's praying. And it's powerful. I walked in there and I felt the energy and the power. Everyone was praying at the same time, crying out to God for the outpouring of His Spirit. And just the worship, the experience of the worship, uh, just to say it's wonderful to be back. I want to just affirm what God has done. I want to affirm the faithfulness and the commitment of those who've walked the journey and have remained in the journey and are trusting God for all that God has for this church. God had a dream for this church when we, we buried Valley Vineyard in 2012 and we raised up a new name with a small little group that was there called Following Jesus and we replanted the church called Following Jesus. And just to see the logo as I walked in, the logo up there has shifted and changed. Following Jesus, learning to live a life of love. 
the, uh, I'm a bit, little bit disoriented. I feel like I need to go stand down there a bit and look at you guys down this long passage of, long, of, of thin rows. But just to say, I mean, when Trevor Entlawler handed over to me back then, uh, 2012, we also we extended the building in terms of building the prayer room. We extended the kitchen. We built new bathrooms. We did the outside platform. They completed all the paving of the road. Now coming here, it's all shifted and changed. Further extensions with all the vision to break out here and extend the hall out this way. This is fantastic. This is part of the journey. This is vision, faith, to prepare for growth. And I know it stretches when faith and finance, when faith is stretched, finances are also stretched. <laughs> and not only finances, but other things are stretched. But I just want to just say, being here, coming back after quite a while, everything, all the signs for me is there's life, there's joy, the presence of God is here, there's vision, there's leadership, there's faithfulness, there's commitment. It's all intact and you're on the right road. I bless you. And I bless what God is doing. And may the dream and the vision that God has for this church, that planted in our hearts all those years ago, that shifts and evolves and develops and changes with each new leadership, may that dream come to pass in the name of Jesus. So what I felt to speak about, um, giving that little introduction, um, it really fits in because I felt for the past two, three months, the Lord to us personally, but for the church, is the, the call to assertive faith. It's the call to assertive faith. The English word assertive, you could use forceful. Even sometimes people use the word violent, as in you are militant, you are aggressive. But perhaps the best word is assertive faith. And I want to base it in a text from Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> so if you want to read with me, if you have your Bibles, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. And in talking about the call to assertive faith, I want to also refer to and base it in this wonderful song, which I know you guys have been singing, which we've been singing in my travels around the world. Everyone is singing the song. You are here Standing in our midst, I worship you, I worship you. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you, I worship you. Waymaker, miracle worker. Promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. That song grabbed me in about September. I was going on a trip to England at the end of September. I left the 27th or 28th, and I had three weeks in England. It's the longest overseas trip I've been on this year, and did three conferences, one in Plymouth, one in Bristol, and then one in Birmingham. Um, all among vineyard churches but they were all full packed with old and young people I tell you God is doing an amazing thing in England the amount of 
older teenagers and young adults outnumbered all those over 35 and 40 years old. And each conference was vibrant with the presence and the power of God. And, and I prayed in preparation because they asked me to speak on specific issues around the kingdom and Jesus and following Jesus and what it means. But uh, that song came into my heart when I said, Lord, what are you going to do on this trip to England? And I felt the Lord tell me, pray for God to make a whole new way, open up a new way for miracle signs and wonders, for God to keep his promises to England and the church in England, and for God to be the light for those who are in darkness. And I prayed that as a theme, and I do believe God honored that prayer. And then coming home, I felt that remained with me. So the, the message I have on my heart for you as a church is God is basically calling you to walk on water. God is calling you to step out of your boat of security where everything is familiar and you're hanging onto the edge of the boat in the midst of the storm and the wind and the waves and Jesus is coming to you in your worst fear. Jesus is coming to you in your darkness as the light. (laughs) And in all that you're struggling with, Jesus is coming to you. And he says, come to me. Leave your security, leave what you've known as familiar, and walk on water. And that is a sort of faith, the call to, to adventurous faith, the call to resilient faith, the call to, to take risk, the call to trust and believe God in the face of the impossible, the call to believe God will make a way for you where there is no way. The call to believe God will give you a miracle when to all your own assessment, it is impossible. And the phrase that I've had going through my mind the last two, three months as I've been singing the song is that what is impossible for human beings is possible with God. And then Jesus repeated the phrase, those who have faith, to those who have faith, all things are possible. But it's not faith in miracles, it's faith in God who does miracles. It's not faith in faith as a technique and mechanism to manipulate God to deliver an answer. It's faith in God who does miracles. We don't have faith in a thing, we have faith in a person. Faith is not in a technique to get God to do something for you. So that you treat God like a butler And if you just pray the right prayer and say the right confession, he delivers an answer for you. God is not a butler. He's not here to serve us. (laughs) We are here to serve him and to worship him. But the call in the midst of the economic struggle in this country, in the midst of the political uncertainty, in the midst of all that's going on, after 10 years of real darkness that has ruled and reigned in this country, economic rape, political corruption, in the midst of all of our present context, God is calling his church to assertive, resilient faith to walk on water, to get out of our boats and trust God in the face of the impossible. You might be tired having rowed the whole night in your boat. You might be exhausted You might be speaking in strange tongues. That's not biblical tongues. You might be really just at the end of your tether thinking, I can't, 
carry on anymore. I tell you, Jesus is coming to you as your light in your darkness. And he's calling you to walk on water. With God, all things are possible. With human beings, things, we get dark, we get depressed, we doubt, we go under. But with God, all things are possible. And even with Peter, when he walked on water, he left the boat, he let go, and he walked. He had no guarantees or assurances that he would stay afloat. But he walked. And then suddenly he became conscious of, of what he was doing. <laughs> and the more he became conscious of what he was doing <laughs> and looked around him and took his eyes off Jesus, we all know he sank under. But let me tell you, even if you sink under, you can cry out, Jesus, help me. And Jesus is there wherever you are and wherever you need him. He's right there beside you to put his hand down and pull you back up out of the water. And to say, stand. Stand. And let's walk together back to the boat. <laughs> and the rest of us who watch those who walk on water are hiding in our boat called Following Jesus Church. And our eyes are big and checking everything out. But let me tell you, you will only experience miracles when you get out of your comfort zone. And by assertive faith, just trust God and his word to you, which his word has come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. On the basis of what God says to you, you act on his word and he delivers what he promises. Waymaker. He makes a way where there is no way. Matt. He, the way that he makes is a miracle. Because in our human estimation, there is no way. The way that he makes is the miracle. And that is the promise that he keeps which he whispers in your heart over many years. God has promised all of us many things. God has given us many different promises. God's called people. God's promised things. And in all the darkness, it doesn't seem as if it's ever going to happen, but he is the light that keeps his promise, that makes the miracle, which is the way that he makes for all of us. That is who God is. So I was going to read a scripture, and then I got preaching. Let me just refer. Let me just refer to. Yeah, Jill says, "What's new or what?" <laughs> let me just refer to the scripture. And oh, Mandy said that. Yeah, what's new? Help me, Jesus. Um, I'm back home. I can see. I'm being teased here. these people. But but still, let me read the text. Make some comments, and then Jill's going to come and share. So here is this verse in Matthew chapter 11 when uh, John. The baptizer was put in prison by Herod and in prison. Again, he was, he was in a dark night of the soul. He was in prison awaiting death. And in his darkness in prison, he had no way out. He doubted. And he sent two of his disciples to say to Jesus, this young rabbi from Nazareth, are you really the one who's to come or did I get it wrong? <laughs> And you know, when you're feeling imprisoned, you're locked in and hemmed in by life circumstance. And uh, it's like almost a sentence of death. You doubt. 
And God, are you real? You know, one famous worship leader, celebrity worship leader who's turned his back on Christianity because of all his doubts. I can't remember the guy's name, but it's all over the internet. But we doubt. We ask questions. Are you the one? And then Jesus comments on John the baptizer. And he says, he basically says, go tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive their sight. The ears of the deaf are open. The lame leap for joy. He's actually quoting Isaiah 35. As a good rabbi, he always is steeped in the scriptures and quotes the Hebrew scriptures. He basically says, yes, I am the one. And the miracles are signs of the kingdom come. You got it right. Be at peace. And the way that God made for him was to lose his head and go to heaven. Interesting way. (laughs) God chose a way for him that was the privilege of martyrdom. And the early church, you read the text of the Coptic church in Egypt. And the early followers of Jesus, after the first apostolic fathers died and great persecution broke out against the church, the early Christians prayed with great envy and faith for the gift of martyrdom because they wanted to embrace the crown of martyrdom. Martyrdom was a gift according to the New Testament. So when, if God makes a way that way for you, rejoice. The benefit is that you see Jesus immediately. So then, then, then Jesus says this interesting phrase about John the baptizer and the kingdom, which is nowhere else, not in the book of Mark, not in the book of Luke, not in the book of John. Verse 12, he says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful people lay hold of it. And, and, and it's a very interesting, difficult text to um, uh, interpret And I'm not going to get too technical, but just to say, the King James, the new NIV, the latest version, and other translations have have translated it traditionally in what is called, in the Greek tense, the the passive tense. The kingdom of God is suffering violence, and violent people are plundering the kingdom, which is, they say it's in the context of John the baptizer. Since John began to preach in the wilderness, he preached the kingdom. Whom Jesus, the kingdom that Jesus preached. He was the forerunner. And from the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God began to f- break out and come in Israel and forcefully advance. But the, the way that some interpret it is that the people have been persecuting Jesus and his kingdom movement, the announcement of the kingdom. And people of violence are overcoming and persecuting the kingdom, symbolized in John the, John's arrest. And then in his, in his martyrdom. The other way to translate it, and in the Greek, you can translate it either way. The, instead of the passive tense that the kingdom that Jesus is announcing and enacting and creating this kingdom movement is suffering persecution and opposition and people of violence are plundering the kingdom. The other way is to turn it on its head, which is perfectly legitimate in the Greek. The kingdom of God is forcefully breaking out, is forcefully advancing. Is, the word violence here can be translated assertive, forceful, aggressive. The kingdom of God, since it's been announced by John, is breaking out all over with great force. 
And people of a certain faith are forcefully entering the kingdom and forcefully advancing the kingdom. And some translations, modern translations, translated that way, whereas the King James and others translated the passive way. And again, just looking up at the scholars, uh, reading some of the commentaries and the scholars, just to say to you that the persuasion of interpretation these days is the latter, what I've explained. Craig Keener, who's a really a remarkable um, New Testament scholar in the U.S., writes on this, and, and, and he shows that the... Probably, we can't say definitively, and uh, probably Jesus got this idea and this phrase from two texts in the Old Testament. And typical once again, you know, we call this church following Jesus by a sense of inspiration from God, that God wanted this. And my own life passion is simply to know that man Jesus and to follow him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. And the more I study Jesus and get to know Jesus the more you just passionately fall in love with him. And this man Jesus, this young rabbi, just 30 years old, from up north in the rural area, from a village of 5,800 called Nazareth, this young carpenter who became a rabbi was steeped in the Hebrew scriptures. He knew the prophets. He learned reams of scripture by heart. So whenever he spoke, he was quoting and connoting Hebrew texts, believing he was the fulfillment of these texts. So where does it come from? Let me just refer to two texts. The book of of Micah. Uh, Don't spend a long time looking for it. You can go to the content the contents and find the page number but but otherwise just listen by faith i'll read accurately Uh, micah who prophesied at the time of isaiah 700 bc talking about the exile and the return of the exile he prophesies about the messiah and the rabbis in the in the midrash they interpret this text in micah as messianic it says this micah chapter 2 verse 12 Yahweh says, I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob, out of exile. I will bring you together, the remnant of Israel, those who believe, who remain faithful to me. I'll bring you together. And I'll bring you together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. And then it says this, the one who breaks open the way, the way maker, will go up before you they will break through the gate and go out with them the sheep will break open as he breaks open the gate out of the penfold takes and leads the sheep out where did jesus get the phrase i am the good shepherd i go ahead of my sheep i lead them out of my sheepfold they hear my voice they follow me Whatever Jesus preached, he got from the Old Testament scriptures. He says, the one who breaks open the way, he makes a new way. The people break out with him and go and follow him. And then it says, their king, the Hebrew word here is the anointed one, Mashiach. Their Mashiach will pass through before them and make the way. The Lord, Yahweh in Hebrew there. The Mashiach is God. God is the Mashiach. Will will be at their head like the king the other text that jesus is probably drawing on is malachi chapter 4 verse verse 4 it's equally an amazing picture 
of what assertive faith is all about. It's Malachi chapter 4, verse 2 and verse 3. And of course, Malachi was the last prophet uh, to prophesy about 400 BC. And then there was what is called 400 years of silence where there was no prophet in Israel. And then John the baptizer arrived on the scene as the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus. So this is very important because these are the closing words of God's revelation and God's word to Israel. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day of the Lord um, is coming, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the king, and it will burn like a furnace. speaks of violence, of forcefulness, of breakthrough, of intervention. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. God will declare war on evil and destroy evil. And on that day is the coming that will set them on fire, says the Lord. Not a root or a branch will be left. But verse 2 is the key. But for you who revere my name, the remnant of Israel, those who believe the coming of the king, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you who are in the kingdom, who believe in the king, who receive the king, you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will jump and trample down evil, the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. So just to say a little, a little illustration picture, um, my... I was, as I said, I was born in Durban, and my, on my mother's side, German side, Uncle Bernard Sheila, uh, who was my, my, my mother's great uncle, came from Germany to Zululand in KwaZulu-Natal and started the Emmaus Mission Station near Cathedral Peak Hotel. So if you've been to Cathedral Peak, you go past Emmaus or Emmaus. But today it's a it, it, it's an established hospital. But we used to go every Easter from Durban as a visit up to the mission station to, to Tanta Magdalena Sheila and Uncle Bernard Sheila and have Easter with them. We never went to church as kids. I didn't really know church except for that Easter experience. But every morning at about 5 o'clock, Jürgen, my older brother, and I used to wake up and sneak out and go watch them milk the cows. So because they milked the cows early in the morning. And what amazed me and has etched itself in my mind is whenever we went out every morning to the cow sheds to watch the milking, and we used to also have some fresh milk, which was interesting, they used to let all the young calves out of the stall every morning. So there's the sun coming up, and it would be crisp and cold. You know the Drakensberg Mountains. But as they opened the stall where at night time all the young calves were in, the calves were just couldn't wait. And as they would go out of the stall, they would run on the field and frolic and jump and play. And, and then you got this, I, could, I can still smell it now, this fresh smell from this fresh grass full of dew being trampled under the feet of these um, young calves that were just full of energy breaking out in a new way, jumping and frolicking and tramping underfoot the evil and the works of darkness. And so when Jesus says, from the time that John the baptizer announced the kingdom, the kingdom, when the proclamation of the kingdom began, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. 
and it's breaking out, making a new way in Israel to bring those who respond to the kingdom message out of exile of oppression. Not only sin and spiritual oppression, but economic oppression, political oppression, because the gospel of the kingdom is holistic. It's not just personal and spiritual. It's structural and systemic. It's national. It's international. It's global. It's cosmic. It's ecological. Since the announcement of the kingdom, God is doing a new thing. He's breaking open a new way. So this phrase, waymaker, is the breakthrough of the kingdom. Miracle worker are the signs of the kingdom. The kingdom is breaking out and forcefully advancing, confronting evil in, in all its forms, and defeating evil and bringing the kingdom. And of course, in the Jewish mind in that day, they expected a literal, physical, military, political king, Messiah, who would basically beat up the Romans, drive them out of Israel, and set up his throne, his kingdom, in the temple in Jerusalem. But Jesus wasn't coming as a military, physical king to set up the kingdom there and then. There was a greater power, a greater fearer, a greater evil behind the, 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 the agency of the Roman Empire and the corrupt Jewish Sanhedrin. That was Hasatan, Satan. That was the devil. And Jesus came to confront the ultimate enemy of all enemies, the power behind it all, the devil himself. And his minions of demons and his whole network of kingdom of darkness, as well as his earthly agents of sin, sickness, demons, death, economic oppression, um, slavery, sexism, racism. As I said, it's all holistic. But the confusion in the Jewish mind is, Jesus, why don't you beat up the Romans? When are you going to start your revolution? <laughs> and he didn't preach a military violent kingdom. In fact, he preached the kingdom of love that was incredibly assertive. And not passive. <laughs> he preached the kingdom of faith and he foreswore violence when they arrested him in the garden and then and then who was it, Peter, who got his, his little dagger out and, and lunged at the Roman soldier and missed his neck but, but caught his ear. Uh, Jesus picked up the ear and put it back on and healed it and said, put away your sword. If you take up the sword, you'll die by the sword. My kingdom is not violence. And I think what, what is being said here is simply this. The zealots were a branch of Judaism among seven uh, schools of thought in Judaism of Jesus' day in response to the Roman occupation and the Roman oppression. The zealots were the military wing, the Umkonto Ezizwe of the day. They believed in violence to liberate um, Israel and to bring the kingdom. So they were called zealots literally from the word zeal. They were zealous to bring the kingdom and liberate Israel into the kingdom of God. And they would use violence to bring the kingdom. And what Jesus is saying here basically, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and breaking through and breaking out all over, confronting evil wherever evil presents itself. So he said, your sins are forgiven you. Pick up your bed and walk. Be healed. Eyes be opened. Demons go. 
He did the signs and wonders of the kingdom as he proclaimed the kingdom making a new way by defeating the kingdom of darkness and bringing the kingdom of God to people. And people who opened themselves up to that, they assertively entered the kingdom. People were stampeding into the kingdom. People followed Jesus in the thousands. He fed 5,000 on the one side of the, of the Galilee, and he fed 4,000 on the other side of the Galilee, and did the miracle of the multiplication of those. When it says four and 5,000, it counted only the men. So if you count the woman, tens of thousands of people followed Jesus and stampeded into his kingdom movement and experienced different levels of liberation and salvation in the presence and the power of the kingdom that was advancing through Israel and through his kingdom movement would advance eventually to the ends of the earth. So the point is simply this. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully breaking out all over. And people of faith are forcefully entering the kingdom and forcefully advancing the kingdom. We, who are people of faith in the kingdom, we are like the calves being breaking out, jumping and running. We are like the one who follow the king, the the Messiah who is Yahweh, who breaks open a new way and leads his people out into the open. We are people like Peter, despite him taking out his sword and wanting to bring the kingdom by violence or protect the king by violence. He said, Jesus, if it is you coming to me, coming to us in our darkness, if you are that light that I see in the darkness, because they all thought he was a, a ghost, Remember, in the midst of the storm, they thought he was a spook, a ghost. If it's you, call me to come. And Peter exercised assertive, aggressive, confident faith. On the basis of the promise, Peter, come. He obeyed and took God at his word and acted on God's word and walked on water. God is making a new way. He has made a new way. Even now, he's making a new way. We say to this, this Red Sea, when Moses got to the Red Sea, and they said, what is going to happen? We see Pharaoh and his armies coming, and you've brought two and a quarter million people out of Egypt, Moses. It says 600,000 fighting men, if you count the women and the kids. Estimates are between two million and two and a quarter million people came out of Egypt. And they came to a Red Sea. And there was a wall called the ocean. <laughs> what are you going to do, Moses? And the Lord said, just lift up your, and this wall, in the name of Jesus, be broken down and be extended out. And hall be full. <laughs> and people come. And people go and do the kingdom out there so that they may find a family in here. To do it out there, to find a family in here. God makes a way where there is no way. You are called to exercise faith and trust God like you've never trusted him before. Because the darker things become, the greater the light shines. The darker and the more desperate things become, the greater the possibilities of, God, of God's miracles. Waymaker is the breakthrough of the kingdom. 
Miracle worker are the signs of the kingdom. Promise keeper is the faith of the kingdom. Light in the darkness is the hope of the kingdom. So I've said enough. Jill is going to come and share. Everybody. <laughs> so Alexander has shared his, the theory, which is always, um, yeah, <laughs> the theory is very um, fulfilling. But now I want to share the experience, my experience, particularly of God as promise keeper. So just to reflect, and when I share my um, journey or our journey, it doesn't mean any, I'm, I'm, I know people here have had far worse things, and, but every person's pain or joy is real for them. So this is how I've experienced God as promise keeper. In 2017, 2018, at following Jesus, when you know, through much debate and discussion, it, we knew that it was time for Alexander to hand over as team leader. And uh, so we had to face the reality that, well, we, we don't have a monthly income. And uh, that did perturb me. Um, yeah, I mean, the reality in my experience is I thought, well, how, how are we going to survive month to month? But praise be to God, of course, you live month by month, and we've had friends who've helped support. But the greatest um, praise that we can give to God is Alexander being invited overseas so he can earn an income and bring it back. So, yes, in those years, I've prayed that that little prayer of Jabez, which I absolutely love and believe, is God... Please be with us in all that we do, and please extend our territory in every way, financially and physically, emotionally, and I've stood by that, and I pray that to this day. But in 2019, although God has been so gracious in so many ways, we had this great joy in 2018, 18 months ago, of finding a place in Salt Rock, which is near Belito in KZN. And uh, we thought, oh, no problem, we'll sell our house here and joyfully, like little lambs, skip along to Salt Rock. Not for, ref not for retirement, as Alexander says, but for refinement. But this year, we, have, uh, we started, we put our house on the market from April and nothing. Honestly, one couple through all these months showed an interest in our house and had made a written offer which has fallen through because they can't sell their house. So I, you know, and I've, it's, it makes it difficult, of course, because we're moving and we need the money to help purchase that house that we so joyfully skipped towards in 2018. <laughs> so, Plus, another very hard thing as a mother and as a father, my daughter was working in Plettenberg Bay as a clinical psychologist in a drug and rehab centre. And the Dutch-run company gave them like a month's notice because they went bankrupt. So Misha was absolutely devastated, apart from the fact that the patients at the drug and rehab centre were were torn and thrown, and they had to just be uprooted and sent back to Holland. So we drove down that same day that she asked us, please come, because she was in, in a desperate emotional need. 
And the long story short is that we said, well, look, there's no work there in Plett. There are only rehab and drug centres. There are quite a few, but she didn't want to do that for now. So she's come back home with us and, and consequently is a dependent. Her reluct reluctantly, it's not like she wants that either. So I just feel that as my exterior world was collapsing, as I feel I've been in the wilderness, I can speak for myself, um, I had to turn to God. He's the only one I can turn to, to rebuild the interior. And in that wilderness that I often find myself in, I have to choose in that place to make God my center. That even though I feel in the wilderness or in that vacuum, it's, it's devastating and it's dangerous to be in that place. But if I choose to be in that place and make it a safe place, a place of safety in God, he's there. So then I thought, okay, so all these years, how do I refine God as a promise keeper? And as somebody who loves spiritual retreats, the only way, and it's in Isaiah, is to repent, to re return to God's arms, to find refuge in God's arms, in quietness and confidence, you will find your strength, strength that we have in God. And of course, the challenge is to find God in all things. We find God in the smallest things, in gratitude. We find God in joy, in the midst, in the dark place. Alexander mentioned when we're in the dark place, the light shines. But you know, when the light shines, our shadows emerge. And that's okay, because that causes us to turn back to the light. So also, there's scriptures, numerous. I mean, the Bible's filled with God's promises. And I've just chosen one, Isaiah, which I love. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of God, the promises of God stand forever. And in Psalm 91, his faithful promises are your armor and protection. So I read this, and once again, in theory, I know I believe it. But how do I experience it? And I question, and I don't believe doubt is anti-faith. Doubt is an element of faith. In fact, it draws us back to the light. So how, God, do you answer prayers then? How, how come my house isn't sold? My house, sorry. Our house. Everything at home is mine. <laughs> it's default. My kids, my house, my bed. Um, it's our house. No, I don't understand. How come? I've prayed for a year. Why aren't you answering? So selfishly, but still, that's, that's my faith. Um, does God answer prayers that are not according to his will? That, yeah, God doesn't answer every desire that we place. He isn't that, uh, what did you say? You did this action. He's not a one-armed bandit. And... Uh, all of God's words and promises will succeed, but God might frustrate human expectations as everything will happen according to his will and his plan. And he does not offer unconditional endorsement of all our prayers. 
I know this. This is the mystery of the kingdom of God. But it doesn't prevent us from um, offering God every prayer, the desires of our heart, every desire we can offer up to God faithfully, whether he answers in our timing or not is irrelevant. I always think, well, that is a deep mystery, but I still offer all my prayers up. Whether they're selfish prayers and my desires, I will give it to God, and he can do with it as he wishes. So to end off, I just read in Isaiah again, because obviously I'm going through Isaiah. That's why I'm quoting Isaiah. Unless your faith is firm, God says, I cannot make you stand firm. Unless your faith is firm, I, God, cannot make you stand firm. And trust in the Lord is utterly essential. And it must be acted upon to demonstrate that it exists. So I'm standing up here saying I trust in the Lord. I want to continue to demonstrate that trust, my trust in God exists. Our trust in God exists. And our faith is there. We just need to stand firm and not expect God to answer our prayers now when we want it. So God bless you. And I must say it's wonderful being back here and just having the privilege of sharing. Thank you. And it's a beautiful hall, Pubs. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Alexander will continue with his wonderful theory. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, said, I said before in the church, please pray for me. <laughs> Thank you, Jill. Thank you. That's wonderful. No, no, no. You're not going anywhere. We're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to sing the song, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, and we're going into a time of ministry. So let's just open our hearts to God as we sing this song. God is a God of miracles. God is a God who makes a way. Let the Lord minister to you. Let the Lord touch you. You know what you need. You know what you're asking God for. So as we sing, open yourself up to God. We're just going to wait and see what the Lord does.